This podcast is not a source of legal advice. No two legal cases are the same. Contact an attorney if you require legal assistance. Welcome to the NJ Criminal Podcast. Welcome back to New Jersey Criminal Podcast. On April 13th, 2022, acting Attorney General for the state of New Jersey, Matthew Platkin, sent a memo to police chiefs across the state advising them that an officer's off-duty possession or use of cannabis should not result in any discipline against the officer. Here with us to discuss cannabis consumption by law enforcement is Middle Township Chief of Police, Chris Lusner. Chief, welcome. Thanks, Ben. Thank you nice so much. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you so much for taking the time and how busy you are. Uh, I want to just jump right in and um, talk about the the memo that came out on April thirteenth, two thousand and twenty-two, and you've you've spoken about it uh, in the past, which is why I asked you to join us here uh, for this season of NJ Criminal Podcast when we're discussing all things related to cannabis. Um, what do you think precipitated uh, Acting Attorney General Platkin to uh, send out the memo in April. My understanding was that the state was going to start opening up um, the first um, dispensaries for recreational use, that the Cannabis Regulatory Commission was going to issue licenses, uh, and that some facilities that were medical marijuana were going to be able to switch pretty quickly to sell recreationally. So uh, with that step, you know, you were going to have for the first time regulated cannabis or be able to purchase regulated cannabis in the state as a recreational user without a medical marijuana card. So it's my understanding that's what prompted the attorney general to send out a memo um, communicating to us what the law was uh, in his view uh, that you cannot take any adverse action against an employee for uh, cannabis use um, while not working and you know, that's that's what it was. He's he's expressed, I believe, publicly uh, that, you know, he has concerns, but he has to follow the law and that uh, his opinion, there's no carve out for law enforcement. Right. And I think that memo uh, indicates that it is an interpretation of the law, not a ruling or decision, uh, and still notes that there would be zero tolerance for cannabis use uh, possession or intoxication while performing duties of a law enforcement officer. Um, you know, why did you choose to, um, you know, publicly speak out against um, this this memo? Uh, what are some of the issues uh, that you see in permitting uh, sworn law enforcement officers in the state of New Jersey uh, to use uh, cannabis, whether on duty or off duty? Well, look, I have issues with the legislation. I think the legislature should act and uh, make it clear that police officers should not be able to consume cannabis um, off duty at all. Um, so I have concerns. I, you know, I've expect, expressed those concerns publicly, but you know, some reasons for that. Um, cannabis stays in your system for up to 28 days, right? Mm-hmm. Um, being able to, to say that someone was under the influence at a specific date and time um, is something that is uh, a challenge. And there's not scientific agreement or consensus in the scientific community as to 
you know, what level of, you know, cannabis is in your system or your blood is a per se violation like we have with alcohol. So one of the examples I talk about is when I was president of the State Chiefs Association, I traveled to Toronto with our executive director, and we were there to learn how they managed uh, legalizing cannabis across the country. And we were in the Toronto uh, Police Department headquarters, and the commissioner spoke with us about his policy where he said that police officers could not consume cannabis 28 days prior because that's how long it can take to be out of your system. And he did not want to be in a position where if an officer involved shooting, an officer involved accident, and there was blood evidence and showed cannabis in the system, and then they were in a position to argue, well, you know, that was from 10 days ago. He or she was not under the influence at the time of the shooting or the accident. Um, now, of course, the fire siren goes off while we're in the middle of uh, it always does. I remember I, I, I worked down at Cape May Courthouse for a long time, yep. and right around this time, uh, it always went yep. off. So that's good. We know you're at work, Chief. Yep. So, <laughs> um, you know, that particular uh, concern is one that I share. Now, right next door, the Peel Police Service, you know, the commissioner there who had a significant police force, his position was he was going to treat it just like alcohol, that you had a responsibility to show up for work and not under the influence of any, um, you know, uh, substance, whether it be alcohol and or cannabis. And if they saw signs that someone was intoxicated, that they were going to take uh, action and document their observations and go through the disciplinary process. So, you know, just in Canada, you know, right next to each other, two departments that ordered one another, two, you know, different approaches. I share the, the concerns of the commissioner from uh, Toronto. Um, I don't want to be in that position where we have to argue, especially now with the scrutiny of law enforcement in use of force situations and just about everything that we do, that um, we're trying to articulate, oh, yeah, well, we have an officer that uh, used cannabis, but you know, he wasn't under, he or she wasn't under the influence at the time. So that's one of my you know, main concerns. Right. And I can see that, that there would be certainly a concern with regard to, uh, to civil liability. Um, and, and particularly a, a related topic is the issue of, uh, not related to police officers, but individuals who have consumed marijuana and then are involved in, uh, either an accident where they're believed to be under the influence or, or just, you know, charged with driving while impaired. And so, um, just as a side note, I'm, uh, hopefully going to be interviewing a, an expert pharmacologist, toxicologist on the issue of how marijuana is metabolized in the system. And um, I mean, do you think it's a testing issue? Do you think that if uh, one were able to quantify the active metabolite in an officer's system, or do you still think that there would be the potential, you know, for civil liability either way? In my understanding from, you know, speaking with, you know, different folks, uh, in this field, uh, there is not consensus in the scientific mm -hmm. community yet. Mm -hmm. um, I'm told that cannabis can affect everyone differently. That you know, one person may um, in consume cannabis um, and be impacted for a longer period of time, and someone who maybe has a tolerance can ingest cannabis and you know process it sooner that mm -hmm. um, it's not necessarily what's in the bloodstream but um, you know other parts of the body of how it impacts and 
that's my understanding, and I think that's why um, you have not seen a device. And I know there's a race in the scientific community to try to develop some type of breathalyzer or some type of machine to be able to say, um, you know, this is a per se violation. In Canada, they had a machine, um, and they picked the number, but they acknowledged that, you know, there was not agreement amongst the scientific community that that per se violation actually meant that they were intoxicated at the time. Right. And there's always, there's always challenges to the scientific reliability of things. I mean, look at the ALCA test. Um, So aside or secondary to the civil liability is um, a question that I had regarding gun permits. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, federal laws prohibit marijuana users from owning a gun. Is that accurate? Yes. Okay. And so um, how... Federal law does. Federal law, right. And so I'm I'm not familiar. Maybe you can just quickly uh, explain it with regard to sworn law enforcement officers uh, and what they have to go to to uh, to have a gun and what they have to certify. Um, does that put a law enforcement officer who is, uh, you know, perhaps considering using cannabis off-duty in a precarious situation with regard to their gun permit? Well, so we don't issue a permit to a police officer that's hired, Mm -hmm. right? You know, we hire a 21-year-old officer. Uh, You know, we don't go through a process where they obtain a gun permit, do a background investigation, psychological, medical examination. They graduate the police academy. We provide the firearm. There's no permit in that particular process. So under the federal law, according to the attorney general, um, that a law enforcement agency is exempt from that federal statute that says that um, a drug user um, cannot possess a firearm. So in terms of a police department providing a firearm to an officer, uh, I don't think there's a conflict with the federal law, or at least that's what the attorney general um, tells us. Now, you know, I have legal counsel, also labor counsel, specifically for the police department, which I run these issues through. And when the attorney general puts out a policy that he interprets something a certain way, we always, you know, consult with our labor counsel, and I encourage people to do that. Um, So from a police perspective, I don't believe there's a conflict. Where I think there is a conflict, um, and the Attorney General has said this publicly, that there is a conflict in the law, is what do you do when a resident puts down on a form that they use cannabis? It's illegal in the state, but illegal federally. What happens then with uh, approving that firearm permit by the chief? Um, And if the chief denied it, what's the Superior Court judge going to do in that case when there's a clear conflict between state and federal law? Okay, I see. I don't know the answer to that question. Okay, I see. Thank you for clarifying that for me. So that, but that is an issue uh, for anyone who would be applying, a citizen, private citizen, who would be applying for a gun permit uh, and and consuming cannabis and putting that on their their application. Correct. It would be, yeah. yeah. I haven't had any applications mm-hmm. uh, where someone has put that down yet. And if that happened, I would go to the Cayman County Prosecutor's Office and ask for a legal opinion as to how I would handle that. But it is a clear conflict. And, you know, the attorney general, he testified in front of the legislature and he acknowledged that there is a clear conflict 
with federal law and state law related to those issues. Do you know whether any uh, local police departments require their officers to purchase their own guns? I am not aware of that. We purchase okay. the weapons. Okay, got it. I believe it. Okay. most departments do is my experience. Got it, okay. Um, and you touched upon this a little bit already. Um, you know, certainly uh, the, the argument would be, I imagine, that, well, it's just like alcohol. Uh, a, a police officer uh, after work can go and have a beer. You know, why is this? Why is this different? I think you touched upon it already with regard to the um, the length of time that uh, that it that it stays in the system. Um, and you know, you also mentioned, and I, I should have, you know, put this in our intro my introduction. Uh, you are the immediate past president of the uh, State Police Chiefs Association. Um, well, past president. They just had a new president sworn in in June. So, but I'm a past president. Got I was it. immediate president. Got it. Okay. About a month ago. Um, and and so you know, are you? Um, you know, I'm not going to ask you to quote anybody, but are are you sensing that this is a concern among uh, many of the police chiefs in the state? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, all the police chiefs are concerned for the reasons I said. I also feel like, from a public trust perspective that the public knows that there are certain employees, sensitive employees that are out there in the community, uh, such as police officers who have, you know, the authority to use deadly force, um, that that even this shouldn't even be a question in my view. Uh, and the law should be clear that police officers, uh, in my opinion, should not be um, – should be exempt from this law and not use cannabis off duty. So, I mean, it's a, it's a civil liability issue, certainly. Um, but it's also, uh, you know, a concern in my view from a public trust standpoint. And then there's other issues. One of the things we talked about, you know, if you're a police officer that is, um, you know, looking to rise through the ranks and eventually go to the FBI national Academy someday, you know, federal law still applies. You go through a separate background investigation. You know, I went to the FBI national Academy, you know, uh, if an officer decides to say, okay, I'm going to use cannabis off-duty, yeah, there's other things that may impact you know, their career down the line if this law doesn't change, such as that, or being on a federal task force. I was just going to um, say that. There's, know, there's oftentimes, of yeah, oftentimes when, when uh, local officers are assigned temporarily to federal task force, that would certainly create a problem. Um, yep. My intern this summer is a, uh, a college student, and she is uh, in the ROTC, and, uh, you know, she has indicated that, you know, they've been advised they can't consume cannabis. And, and again, it's because it is still against the law, um, against federal law. Uh, and so it's the same, it's the same concept. What do you think the next steps are? Is there, is there a mechanism for um, local chiefs and departments to, uh, to challenge this? Or what do you think? Is it just a matter of um, cautioning your uh, your officers? What, what do you think the next steps are? Well, I do know that uh, the legislature is aware of this issue. Uh, the State Chiefs Association has engaged with a number of uh, legislators uh, on this issue. It appears to have bi bipartisan support. However, the you know Senate President Nick Scatari was one of the original authors of the legalization of marijuana bill. So, you know, he's a an important player in legislation. And I don't think he shares the same concerns that I outlined earlier about 
uh, carving out an exempt for law enforcement. So, you know, I, I think this is something that to resolve this would be a legislative fix. Um, I don't know if um, a challenge in the courts, state or federal, would bring any um, bring any clarity to this. Um, it, it seems to be the, the main push is legislatively. So we'll see what happens. We'll, we'll definitely keep an eye on it. And uh, I really do appreciate you taking the time to, to speak with me today about, about this issue. I had seen the article um, that you were quoted in and and uh, you and I go go back a, a few years, and so um, I, I I really do take the time because I think it's look I think it's really important, and that's why I'm doing this series to have a, a balanced viewpoint uh, on both sides and and flesh out all of these issues because I think sometimes um, you know and there was there was popular voter support for this right, but I think it's also important to uh, flesh out the issues and hopefully uh, it's it's not. Uh, changed as a result of an incident, right? Um, the hope is that um, that if the legislature hears the concerns of law enforcement, uh, that that aspect can be uh, changed, you know, before there's uh, there's an incident that that brings this uh, to the forefront in a, in a in a bad way. I, I agree with you. And- you know, there's so many other elements of the cannabis legislation, the underage consumption. And, you know, uh, I know you're going to be, you know, talking with folks about that. But in that case, a perfect example, they passed that law that said you could notify parents and they changed it pretty quickly because of, you know, public outcry. So I, I imagine at some point uh, they're going to have to respond to, um, you know, the public and, and understanding uh, that there are some real concerns here. And hopefully it's not after a very serious incident. Let's just hope. Chief, thank you very much. Stay safe. And uh, when I'm when I'm down that way, I'll stop in and say hi. Thanks, Meg. All right. Take see care. ya. Bye-bye. We hope you've enjoyed this series. Don't forget to subscribe, because before you know it, we'll be back with another great conversation. If you sell by referral, relationship building, and network marketing, pick a time and let's talk about podcasting. You might be surprised. When done correctly, all you have to do is have the conversations. If you're interested in starting a podcast, visit the contact page at njcriminalpodcast.com and send Meg a message. She'd love to discuss your legal podcast.